on Thursday, April 11th, at 12.45, we instant messaged all our shop stewards that we were taking a strike and emptying out the stores at 1 o'clock. At five minutes before 1 o'clock, we notified all our members in all the stores by, through our instant message program that in five minutes we were walking out and emptying the stores to go on strike. And what did that scene look like after everyone walked out? Uh, it was incredible. Um, it was a, uh, you know, really it was done very uniformly. It was done very civilly. Uh, they allowed the finish up on the customers in the stores, let the customers out so we could keep the customers on our team, and they uh, hit the bricks. All right, so who you were just hearing was Jeff Bolin, who's the president of UFCW Local 1445. My name's Andy Metzger. I'm hosting this week's episode of The Codcast. I'm here with uh, Jeff, who you just heard from, and Steve Tolman, who's president of the Massachusetts AFL-CIO. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thanks. And uh, the reason I uh, invited you both here is to talk about whether private sector labor may be having a bit of a moment. So... Steve, why don't you answer that question? Are, are things looking up for the private sector labor? Well, I think it's after so many years, and if, if you look from the 70s to now, that there's a direct correlation between the decline of the labor movement and the decline in wages. And the workers fed up. The workers are tired. They're frustrated. They see that their dollar isn't where it should be, and income inequality is going through the roof. I think Massachusetts is one of the, um, you know, higher-rated states for income inequality. And frankly, yeah, we worked hard addressing some of the public sector issues with the Janus decision that was coming down, which I know we're going to discuss, but... I think in doing that, what we've really done is worked with a lot of the leaders and in the membership to make sure that we're all on the same page and working together and understanding that the grocery store's problem is the nurse's problem and the building trade's problem is the machinist problem. And so that understanding that the labor movement has to work together and we have to have each other's back. And when we do that, we successful. Fair enough. But I think maybe many of our listeners have heard of the Janus decision, but pretty much everyone around Massachusetts knows about the stop and shop strike. It seems a little different from what has it's happened. A lot different. Yeah. So what was that a turning point? And maybe Jeff, maybe this is a good question for you. Was that a turning point and and are things different now post stop and shop strike? Well, that's a, it's a hard question to answer, and I'll try. Um, well, first of all, I just want to say Steve Tolman is 100% right. There's a definite correla uh, correlation between the demise of the middle class and unions. Uh, but to answer your question, uh, Stop and Shop is in every community. It's not a machine shop that's on some side alley street that people can't see every day and don't know about. People live have lived with Stop and Shop for the last 60 or 70 years, and uh, it, everybody's familiar with it. Uh, 
the outpouring from the community was incredible. Uh, you know, we had to do some training with our members. We brought our stewards and our strike captains in for two days of intensive training on how to picket, how to strike. These are grocery workers. This is uncharted territory for these people. They've never been in a labor dispute before, never been in a major fight with the company. Uh, even though we argue at negotiations year after year after year, we always manage to, uh, you know, land a contract. Uh, but for the last decade or so, our members have been completely disrespected at work. Their hours have been cut. The company's been trying to get concessions for the last decade or so. Uh, they always manage to land a, uh, a holiday or something else uh, that's missing for new people, uh, and it's not right. But when they came, when the management came to the bargaining table this year, they wanted to decimate the entire contract. They wanted to do cutbacks and everything from pension to health insurance. They wanted to take back holidays. They wanted to take back vacation time, sick days, and personal days. And we've had enough. And when I say the workers have been disrespected all these years, new management has been brought in uh, since the multinational conglomerate took over this company, this royal ahold from the Netherlands. They bring in managers that are not familiar with the industry. Uh, they bring in people who have never dealt with union workers before, and they disrespected the workers. Uh, they uh, treated them terrible at work. They cut back on their hours. Uh, their incomes were going down, and they had had enough. And uh, we decided to uh, call a strike and take a strike vote right when the contract ended. Um. Thank you. And I'll just remind listeners that uh, we don't have anyone from Stop and Shop here to provide the other side, but not, not to dispute at all what you just said, but just so people know it's, it's, it's coming from, from you. Um, but I want to know, and maybe, Steve, this is a good question for you, when does it make sense for a union to go on strike? What's the strategy there? And also, what are the tactics? That's, what do you need to plan for? <clears throat> That's our last option. Strike is a weapon that is seldom used and hopefully never used. In this case, the grocery store workers under UFCW had no alternative. They were mistreated, disrespected at the bargaining table. They did everything they could do to try to reach a consensus. As Jeff has explained to you, this wasn't your local grocery store manager who was coming in to negotiate. This was trained experts from law firms that are designed to break unions. And that's the difference we see in America. But the most important thing to talk about, it wasn't just grocery store workers that stood on the picket line. It was organized labor. It was public sector workers. It was building trades. It was nurses. It was police and fire. It was all workers understanding that that grocery store that they shop at, that they like, that the, the meat cutters that cut their meat, the people that help them make their home a success by groceries, having good groceries, and that that was all changing. This company wanted to do nothing more than disrespect the workers. So the strike is something we don't look to. The strike is something we try to avert. But you saw it. In other occasions around Massachusetts, which maybe we'll talk about, we never want to go on strike. We want to work with the company to make it successful. And Jeff, was there any concern in your mind before 
you sent out the message that we're going on strike, was there any worry that this might backfire and customers would say, continue shopping or say, well, who needs these union workers or something like that? Well, it's hard to tell what, how the customers are going to respond. Uh, but part of the training we did was to teach our stewards and our members to bond with the, with the uh, customers. And they do anyway. Uh, they know the customers. When they come to the deli, they know what they want. They know how many pounds. Uh, it's a community-based thing where the same people come to the same stores over and over again, and they uh, actually have a relationship with the person that works behind the counter. Uh, we were concerned about the workforce. We were concerned about what the company was going to try to pull. Uh, they did try to bring in scabs uh, from outside. Uh, they did try to bring food in, but the Teamsters, uh, Local 25, did an incredible job uh, not delivering, but they did get some trucks from the outside to come in, uh, scabs, trucks. Uh, but we told the workers in advance when we were training them, don't worry about how much food gets into the store. Don't worry about how many scabs they bring in from the outside. All you have to do is win over that customer that you wait on every week, and you will win. And that's exactly what happened. And, and it wasn't only unions who came to your support. It was also a few presidential the, candidates, Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren, Pete Buttigieg. I've, that, that was it, right? There were no other... There's a big field, but that but, the but most three huge Senator names. Markey was there the whole time. Senator the, Markey the important as well. thing is political that support. How do you get that, and and what does that mean when you are in a labor action like this? Well, listen. The most the most important thing here was this was a community based win. The community came out in droves. I'm talking neighbors joining picket lines, bringing their kids with them. I've never seen that before. Uh, all the unions, as Steve mentioned earlier, were there, and I mean every single union, public sector and private sector, joined a picket line at one time or another. They brought food. They brought pizzas. They brought boxes of Joe, donuts. Uh, restaurants in the malls allowed the strikers to eat for free in their restaurants. Uh, it was just an amazing outpouring from the community itself. Uh, as far as the politicians go, we always have a rally when we have something like this. It's important that you get all the unions together in one place to try to uh, talk about the issues and the problems. Steve was there. He gave a fantastic speech. Uh, Sean O'Brien from Local 25, the Teamsters was there. Joe Biden was there. Ed Markey was there. Uh, we had Elizabeth Warren come down the first day of the strike to the Somerville store. She spent hours on the picket line with us. That was fantastic. Uh, but it seems like when something gets this much attention, it draws all the politicians in who are obviously campaigning and so forth. But the, the right ones were there. The people who care about working people showed up at the picket line and at the rally. Um, and I read that after this strike ended and you got a contract, uh, Stop and Shop wound up losing $100 million because of this. And I've also heard that this might have influenced Macy's to come to the bargaining table. Is that right, Jeff? We were also having uh, negotiations going on simultaneously with Macy's. Uh, they were giving us a hard time. They were taking a very anti-union approach to bargaining. Uh, they were dragging it out as Stop and Shop was. Uh, and we believe that the when the strike... Uh, ended and we won that strike that Macy's came right back to the table and settled the best contract we've ever gotten from them to date. 
So Steve, what are the big takeaways for both the employer manager side and also the labor union employee side after this huge strike at Stop and Shop? Well, the big takeaway is that maybe we should work together in negotiations rather than force people out. There's a lot of people that put everything at risk. A lot of people that don't have a lot of money in the bank. We know the numbers. They say, what, the the average families are like $400 in the bank or something. There's a huge amount of people that are struggling today that aren't doing very well based on what I started out with, that the direct correlation of the middle class and the decline of the labor movement is also in our wages. What you made at a certain rate doesn't buy, it buys us about 30 to 35% less than what it should be back at 30, 40 years ago. That's a big problem. Middle class people are struggling today. And what you really have to understand, Jeff's a leader of a lot of people. The last thing you want to do is have them risk everything. But they were forced out. Remember, this is America. This is a grocery store that we all love. I mean, I, the meat cutters are the best there because you can get certain cuts, you get special service, they take care of people and make it a good, you know, a special time when you know when you're getting taken care of. You feel that from the employees. These employees are dedicated and committed. They're not making a hundred million dollars. They're working for a day's wage. And there was no reason that this company ever should have hired whoever they hired to try to negotiate them to uh, destroy them. And so What is most importantly is the workers rose up, and we're seeing that. There is a huge support for organized labor and for unions in particular. And what's even more exciting, it's in the millennials. The younger people are seeing the need not only to join unions, but to be active in them. And I think that's what we saw here. So where, Steve, is the most interesting labor activity taking place in Massachusetts now, whether it be organizing or contract negotiations or, as you said, this last step of a potential strike authorization? Well, if I were to tell you it's organizing our members, it's internal organizing, it's educating our members to let them know that paying dues is one thing, but we want you to be a live, active union member and understand that your struggles are your struggles, but other struggles are your struggles as well. And when we all stand together and work together and understand what is at stake for each other, then we're successful. And when we work together like we did, and I'm telling you, it's a testament to great leadership, a guy that has worked his heart out. He doesn't like it, but it's the truth. People understand that he's in here for the right reasons. He's in there to protect them and stand up for them. That's why they supported him. Him and the leaders across the street, UFCW is an organization that always has internal organizing educational campaigns with their stewards. I get, I'm fortunate to have attended them, I think, every single time. And when you have that type of relationship, the members of the union understand that that union is there for them. That union is their opportunity to have an economic increase, that to understand that working together, there's no problems that we can't face united. Although I have to say that big picture, looking back several decades, uh, private sector labor has become, at least in the U.S., has just diminished so much. Uh, why, do you, why do you think that is? If, well, well, clearly, Andy, the laws, Jeff probably wants to touch this, but the laws, go ahead, Jeff. 
Uh, well, <laughs> a couple of reasons. One is we've lost a lot of manufacturing in the last four or five decades. But since uh, Ronald Reagan was president, uh, union busting has become a billion-dollar industry in the United States. It's very difficult for people to organize a union. Uh, gonna, the boss has uh, so many weapons that they use to intimidate, uh, bring about fear about workers who are trying to organize. Uh, they break the law. They just flout the law. They'll, they'll fire a ringleader. It might take us a year or two to get that ringleader back to work with back pay and so forth, but by that time, the organizing campaign is dead in the water. Uh, there's been an anti-union attitude for at least the last three or four decades. Uh, we hear that in business schools now. I, I heard from a, a, a fella who's a professor in a, business, a local business school that he can't believe some of the anti-union venom that comes out of the mouths of some of his students studying to go into business and so forth. And uh, where did this come from? It couldn't have come from their moms and dads because uh, most of them worked for a living and, and uh, understood the struggles and problems of working people. Uh, but union busting is big, and we need labor laws that have teeth in them. People have the right to organize in this country, and they shouldn't be intimidated, harassed, fired, scared, isolated, or anything. They should be able to join the union without fear of anything. And uh, you'll see things change in this country. But we need politicians who have courage to stand up and get these laws passed. And when I think about the stop and shop strike, there are two big labor actions that preceded it. One at Market Basket, where the workers are not unionized, but did organize and brought about some change at that grocery store. And two, this more recent lockout at National Grid, where the political system in Massachusetts really started to get behind doing something, and that seems to have well, prompted a, an agreement between the two. Market parties. Basket was a completely different animal. Market Basket, uh, the workers went on strike to support one of the bosses. There were two cousins that owned that company, uh, the Demoulis family, and uh, one was close to the workers. He treated the workers well, and they struck to support him because the other brother was going to go the conglomerate way. They were, he was going to go the way the rest of these other businesses are going to cut back on, on labor, to cut back on, on workers' rights, to cut back on benefits and things like that. So they felt strong enough to keep Arthur T. Demoulis in and they, uh, they struck for him. It was a whole different animal. But I got to say, the market basket strike also gained a lot of notoriety, same as stop and shop strike, and it seemed to get a lot of support from customers. And in, in comparison with National Grid, first of all, as a customer, you have very limited options for changing your utility at all. And I, I, I saw the political class in Massachusetts really got behind the workers, but it didn't seem like there was a to my eye at least, a broad popular swell of support for the national grid workers, and yet it did happen right before the stop and shop strike. I'm just trying to kind of well, pull you, back you, a you little can't, bit. Yeah, but you, you, you're trying to bring things in and try to see why there's differences and think there's differences. They're extremely different. The, the national grid issue was a safety issue. We saw what happened in Lawrence with the gas pressure, okay? Different company. But... What was similar with the stop and shop and with National Grid is you had two foreign conglomerates who came into America, and once again, the same as stop and shop, National Grid would not negotiate in fair to the, with the employees. And the employees did take a vote 
on whether or not to strike, but they were locked out. This company shut the door on them, and this company made several billion dollars a year before, just like Stop and Shop. Foreign companies coming in, trying to trash American workers. And I'll tell you, seven months they canceled health insurance. There were 1,250 employees. There were employees whose husbands and wives and children had mental health issues, addiction issues, brain tumor issues, cancer issues. And that foreign company shut their health care off. And I didn't see any corporation standing up and saying there's something wrong with that going on in America. There is. For that to happen, nobody spoke out. That's the problem, Andy. No corporation of their giant size said that you have to curtail this bad behavior because these are American workers. I didn't hear anybody. I didn't hear anybody from the federal government in the administration side standing up against this. And all this time, seven months, our safety with gas issues was at stake. They played Russian roulette. There's something wrong in America when giant conglomerates with billions of dollars in profits are coming in and trying to hurt workers, take away pensions, reduce health care. Something seriously wrong. Organized labor is going to stand up and fight it every step of the way. So we have about five minutes left, and I have to be honest that this has been a really interesting discussion, but I don't think we've answered yet whether the stop-and-shop strike was an anomaly and things will return to that bigger trend of private sector labor losing its power or whether it was potentially a turning point and people on labor and management side will both sit up and take notice that this is what can happen. What, what do you think, Jeff? We're, thinking, we, we're hope, certainly hoping that it's a turning point in America. Uh, people are falling behind in this country. The American dream is disappearing for young people, even college graduates who are getting out with these tremendous loans they have to pay back and so forth. They're not getting the incomes to match the economy, as Steve mentioned earlier. Uh, it's, uh, young people can't buy a home anymore. A lot of young people are going to work on public transportation. They can't afford an automobile. We've been going backwards because the dollar is, doesn't have the value it did. We're not making the gains. We're not keeping up with inflation and so forth. And I think a lot of the uh, public support on this strike was they feel the same pain that the stop-and-shop workers did. They see the struggles that they go through every week trying to pay their bills and, and bring their kids up and send them to school and so forth. Uh, hopefully, it'll be a turning point. Uh, it'll wake up America. Uh, I certainly hope the politicians get on board because we need their help. But uh, the future will tell. We're going to have to wait and see what happens. But we're going to continue to organize. We are getting calls from non-union stores, from members who uh, watch the strike, watch the success of the strike, watch the stop-and-shop workers win their pension, win back their health insurance and all their holidays and so forth. Uh, and hopefully that will, uh, that will spread. And Steve, earlier you mentioned the Janus decision. This is where the U.S. Supreme Court sided with Mark Janus, who was a state employee in Illinois who didn't want to pay the union fees because he was a non-member. And the Supreme Court essentially said unions can't charge its non-members fees. Now, the House in Massachusetts uh, recently passed a bill almost unanimously 
to allow unions to collect some fees in particular instances from non-members. But what's most interesting about this to me is that from what I've heard, unions have not uh, lost a lot of support, even though presumably someone could say, why join the union when you can get all of the services of the union for free as the law stands in Massachusetts right now? What's the future, legally speaking, and, and why are people sticking around in unions, if that is the case? Well, Andy, you bring up, with about a minute left, the most controversial issue that organized labor has faced in the last 50 years. That was a reversal of a 9-0 to zero Supreme Court decision in 1977, this 5-4 to four decision. It was totally political. And in that decision, the lead uh, judge gave an option so that you could charge. We just clarified it, you understand, in the bill. But most importantly, what we saw there was an attack on the fundamental right to have public sector unions and the right to the freedom to join a union. That's all at stake. They also try to go in and discourage members from becoming unions, and they have all these websites. And by the way, that fellow you mentioned by the name, I guess, begin with Jay, he is no longer a public employee. He's working for one of these right-wing organizations that funded his whole court case. This is an attack on middle-class America, and middle-class America's got to wake up. We've got our organizing, we've got organized labor working together to understand together fighting, standing, and united. And that's why we will be successful. We're not going to pound our chest and say organized labor is back because organized labor never left. We're taking our beatings, but we need reform in labor laws nationally. We need reform so that your generation, Andy, and the other people in this room will have an opportunity for decent equity and a decent retirement with dignity, not having to work until you pass. And, and uh, you, you did mention that bill that passed the House, but correct me if I'm wrong, it essentially says that while you can't charge all non-member employees that the union represents for the union services when they do, say, face an arbitration or something else where they need the union's legal support, then the union can charge them a reasonable yeah, fee. Reasonable. That that's exactly, that's uh -huh. exactly right. And, th and that, that makes sense. But it was an attack to try to break the unions. They wanted people to drop out of the union, say, why would I pay? But the people know that that money is invested in their future. That money isn't going to foolishness. That money is about building a strong organization, educating our members so that they understand the importance of organized labor. All right. Well, that was... Sorry, Jeff, you I, look like you've I got... I just want people to understand out there who are listening that uh, the public sector and the private sector share the same common enemy. These billionaires that come over here and lobby to break unions are the same people who are trying to privatize the public sector, who are trying to bring in charter schools, who are trying to divide and conquer us. It's the same people, it's the same money. So the public sector, uh, they're trying to undermine public education. These are the same people who are trying to break the unions in the private sector, the ones who came at the stop and shop. These conglomerates had come from Europe, 
It seems that this country now seems to be the place to come over and, and take advantage of working people. And when all these places and all the companies in Europe are 100% union wall to wall, there's a sad irony there. So, All right. That was Jeff Bolin of the United Food and Commercial Workers, Local 1445, and uh, also Steve Tolman from the Massachusetts AFL-CIO. What, what does AFL-CIO stand for? Everything that's right about America. There, okay. <laughs> American Federation of Labor, Congress of Industrial Organization. Fair enough. And I'm Andy Metzger. Thank you both for, uh, for coming and talking to me, and uh, thanks everyone who's listening. Thank you. Have a good day. Thanks. Hello, hello, baby, you called, I can't hear a thing, I have got no service.